Hello, I'm Lois Holzman, co-founder and director of the Eastside Institute, the Center for Social Therapeutics and Performance Activism located in New York City. Today, I want to share with you a talk I gave recently. It was part of Alive in the Anthropocene, a series of online presentations about the global challenges we face, including what many people believe is an extinction crisis that is looming for the planet and its people. The talks address the urgent need to move beyond mainstream approaches. I was invited to make this presentation by Philippe Vandenbroek from Belgium. Philippe is with SHIFT, which provides strategic and organizational development services to change makers for good. My thanks to him for the opportunity. And now my remarks, which I called the performance movement, the obvious and outrageous way out of the epistemological fly bottom. Share my ideas on how to overcome the authority of human ways of knowing and embrace the power of human non-knowing growing. As my title suggests, performance has to do with the power and epistemology has to do with the authority. I approach them, power and authority, and performance and epistemology as a radical, a community organizer and activist for human and community development, and as a builder of a movement of performance activists as a form of non-knowing growing and positive transformational social change. I'm a psychologist by training, a developmental psychologist and psycholinguist to be exact, and was and remain very unhappy with how psychology understands and works with people and communities. Here's a few of the things about psychology that trouble me. It doesn't foster the development of people. It, in fact, it hinders it. It functions to maintain the status quo. Its methods and conceptions glorify individualism and stifle collective action. It relates to human beings as objects to be manipulated and changed. It holds up science and reason as humanity's saviors and it denigrates art and creativity. I am far from alone with my, in my unhappiness with mainstream psychology. Most practitioners I know in dozens of countries are constrained and frustrated as are my university prof professor colleagues in North and South America, Asia, and Europe. There are hundreds of books critiquing the understandings of and approaches to learning and teaching, emotional distress, child rearing and family dynamics, group interaction and organizational development. And many of these books are excellent. Sorry. Sadly, these critiques have done little to lessen psychology's grip on us. It shapes every institution of society from physical and mental health to education, to the courts, to the family and to the interactions we have with each, with each other every single day of the week. I became convinced that engaging psychology meant more than critiquing it. It means finding ways to actively engage the mass psychology of alienation, individualism, passivity, victimization, retribution, violence, 
and hopelessness. So 40 years ago, I began with wonderful colleagues to create a new psychology called social therapeutics. It is in Karl Marx's term, a practical critical activity. And it is in Lev Vygotsky's term, a tool and result methodology. Both of these terms refer to method as something to be practiced, not applied. To method as the dialectical unity of deconstruction through reconstruction, of transforming the existing circumstances, what there is, into something other than what there is, into something new that you bring into existence. Over these 40 years, my colleagues and I have practiced this method and shared it with thousands of others around the world. They and we have built hundreds of organizations and projects and environments that involve people in creating alternative ways to be with each other, to learn, to talk, to do therapy, to doctor, to raise a family, to work, to supervise, to manage, to teach, and more. They've been created in urban centers, rural villages, refugee camps, prisons, hospitals, etc. They bring cultural and creative approaches to living, learning, working, and organizing to people who need them, which is pretty much everyone on the planet. Social therapeutics has a different starting point from the psychology we're all familiar with. Instead of starting with the individualist primary as what human beings are, its starting point is relationality. We are social beings. It's the current psychology that has us believing that we're individuals first and social second, that we are separate from each other and from other beings and non-beings. Social therapeutics is cultural. It's a cultural, not a natural science approach to understanding human life. We aren't stars or lab rats, so we shouldn't be studied or related to as if we were. We're not merely behaving organisms. We're cultural beings. We're makers of culture. Our needs, our wants and desires are cultural. And one of the goals of social therapeutics is for people to create new wants and new desires and new needs. Doing this involves creating environments. And I use the word environment in a human, not as a physical space, although we definitely need new physical spaces and new ways to relate to the environment, but there's also environment that we create like this one right now. So doing this, creating new needs, wants, and um, desires involves creating environments in which people of all ages and walks of life participate in a process that involves going beyond their current needs to generate new needs and new wantings. In other words, it is in it's in creating environments for change that people create their and their communities, social, emotional, intellectual, cultural, and moral development. It's in the creating of the environments that these things emerge. What that does, that activity of creating the environment, which also creates the development, that is the transformation of the very culture that is holding us back from doing that. 
And at this moment in history, I and my colleagues around the world believe that what's needed are processes in which people come to want development. Wanting stability, wanting enough money, wanting to feed your family, wanting development is a human right. Performance is one of these processes that catalyze the wanting of development. Perhaps to me, it's the most important one. Here's why. Psychology and popular culture socialize us to believe that our cognition, our ability to reason, to problem solve, and to know how and to know what, our epistemic posture, if you will, is what makes us uniquely human. Further, we are socialized to believe that human beings develop by going through a series of internal ladder-like stages, all having to do with these cognitive abilities. Psychologists tell us who we are, individuals, individually, and in groups they categorize us into, based on assessments of what they deem our behaviors mean and predict for their future. What's overlooked or ignored is that we are performers. We can and do do things without knowing how to do them. We can and do do things that aren't who we really are. When we are babies, we do this nearly all the time. We babble and others talk to us in whatever language they speak. We dance and walk and laugh without knowing how or even that we are doing these things and our people cheer us on. We become speakers and walkers by performing as speakers and walkers before we know how. After that, we perform maybe on a stage in a school play. If we're actors, we do it often on professional stages. We perform other than who we are. We play in the imaginative realm, performing with our imagination and experience in a creative dance is how we create our development, how we grow, always with others who support and delight in this joint activity when we are very young. And then we're discouraged from performing, from continuously creating ourselves, from continuously growing into who we are becoming, usually at school age, and now we're rewarded for behaving and for our ability as knowers. In my work and that of other performance activists, we've seen firsthand how inviting people to perform, to be other than who they are, quote, other than who they are, to create stages for development and perform together on them. These activities transform their lives. Being given permission to imagine and to put your imagination to use socially creates possibilities never dreamed of. Over and over, we hear people say, wow, I never thought I could do that. Or I never thought we could do that, but we did it. That is extremely empowering. I think about babies who um, have finally stood up and walked <laughs> and the joy on their face, like, I did it. Adults can have that experience too. 
At this point, I hope you can begin to see that performance as non-knowing growing gives us an alternative to living according to the knowing paradigm. Epistemology may well have been revolutionary in its beginnings and of enormous value to humanity, but it's now non-developmental, actually devolutionary, generating paralysis at best and barbarism at worst. Whose truth, whose facts, who knows, who doesn't, who knows what to do? I have to know how to do this before I can do it, and so on and so on and so on. Perhaps the question I'm putting for us today is this, how do we reconstruct our world in such a way that people can not only meet their current needs, but go beyond them to create new ones? And of course, the answer is not knowable, but it is creatable. The answer has to be created by what people, including all of us, do. The direction that I've been laying out is to create development, the changing of ourselves that is dialectically united with world changing. Here's both a summary and a bit of an expansion put in the kind of utterances that linguist, linguists call performatives. Performative one, engage the epistemological bias. The authoritarianism of Western ways of knowing is often and well critiqued. And while non-Western epistemologies should be honored and respected along with all the other features of any given culture, I think that all epistemologies are authoritarian. It is the epistemic posture itself that's a fetter to creating development. And all peoples are to a greater or less extent guided consciously and unconsciously by a knowing paradigm that we can and must know what is, what to do, who we are, how we feel, what is real and what is right and what is true institutions, education, the law, economics, psychology, science, religion, etc., derive their authority from it. They socialize us to ways of understanding and feeling and relating that are in the current times conservative and destructive. Living by the knowing paradigm stifles creativity and discovery, closes off other ways of understanding and constrains our ability to imagine and create a new world. Performative two, don't confuse power with authority. As a child of the 60s, I still bristle when I hear the word power used negatively by, progr by progressives, used as a pejorative, something bad or even evil and a property of those who rule. I'm still a believer in power to the people. I don't know exactly when power lost its revolutionary meaning, but the talk today is most often about the exercise and abuse of power by those in power. What then could it mean to empower people? You might be thinking, aren't those just two different uses of the word power in different contexts? And of course they are, but I don't think merely is accurate. Because if you leave it at that, it masks an important distinction that I found invaluable in my political understanding and work. That distinction is between power and authority. Power being created from the bottom and authority being imposed from the top. 
from this vantage point, being in power and exercising power are as different as can be. Being in power is the commodification of power into authority. Exercising power is engaging collectively, democratically, and creatively in practical critical activity without commodification. Give you some sense, concreteness of that. Professionalized and institutionalized psychology, psychotherapy, counseling, social work, healthcare and education in the US and increasingly elsewhere practice and promote all manner of dehumanizing authoritarian commodification. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the International, the ICD, whatever, I forgot what that stands for, a diagnosis, identity psychology and identity politics, testing and evaluation are just the most obvious of the dehumanizing authoritarian commodification that we live with. The authority of these institutions, social work, counseling, education, etc., is so thorough that people not only commodify themselves in these and other word, ways, but we feel we need to commodify ourselves. But people get relieved when they get a diagnosis. They you know, are devastated or joyful when they get a grade or an evaluation, et cetera. At the same time, though, I believe people not only need, but want to exercise power without commodification. Psychologically, this desire to exercise power is a nearly constant struggle with this need to authoritatively commodify oneself. Given that this, I think, is the temporary, contemporary human condition, it's a huge creative challenge to create ways to port, support people to exercise power without commodification, that is, to exercise power free of authority. Performative three, reinitiate the development of persons and communities. Mainstream psychology is interested in who we are and working from that position, it grandiosely and erroneously tells us who we will become. That's because it's thoroughly epistemological and authoritarian, claiming to be a predictive science. Prediction, however, knows nothing of dialectics, of the practical critical, of non-knowing growing. A practical critical humanizing psychology is not predictive that's not what we need. It's possibility generating in that it engages directly the human struggle between power and authority, the power of becoming and the authority of being. For we human beings are not just who we are as persons, communities, or nation states. We are also, and at the same time, who we are becoming. We are also at the same time not who we are. We all live in a particular culture, society, space, and time, but we also all live in history, by which I don't mean the past, but the totality of past, present, and future. Most of us, though, experience ourselves societally rather than dialectically in history and society. We don't 
feel ourselves as simultaneously self and world changers, as creators of qualitative transformation, as active bringers into being new ways of feeling and relating to ourselves and others, reinitiating the development of persons and communities involves building environments where people can stop being only who they are, societal, and become who they are becoming, historical, in which they can engage in the non-knowing growing activity of creating new wants and needs and emotions and relationships. Performative four, play and perform. To create new needs and new wants, we have to imagine. More than that, we have to allow our imaginations to impact on our past experiences and our past experiences to impact on our imaginings and generate new social activity. There are at least two things people in every culture, so it seems, do that accomplish this play with imagination and experience. One of them is play and the other is performing. Both of them allow, it. indeed they depend on, are being both who we are and not who we are at the same time. When little children roar like lions in a zoo, they are themselves and not themselves at the same time. When babbling babies carry on conversations with adults, they're playing with language and performing as speakers before they know how to talk. They are both who they are, babbling babies, and who they're becoming, speakers. When actors perform in a stage play, they are themselves the character and the character they're playing at the same time. In the cases, in both these cases of babies and actors, experiencing experiences and imaginings are creating something new and other. I would like you to take these four performatives, which are as invitations to create new performances of, of how you are, your activities and understanding. They are the features of social therapeutics and performance activism that have been studied and practiced all over the US and internationally. From the Mexico-US border and the refugee camps in Europe, from the schools in Brazil and Japan to the streets of Kolkata and the villages of Uganda. From my own work and that of others around the world, we've come to think of what we're doing as a new kind of activism, not a reactive activism, not a negative resistance, but a reconstruction deconstruction of the existing circumstances. People coming together with their different histories and identities, their agreements and disagreements and creating something other with them. We've seen firsthand in thousands of cases that to generate new possibilities, people have to perform to step out of their comfort zones, as the teenagers put it, to do whatever it is they're trying to do without knowing how. They have to play and perform life. And by engaging in this practical critical activity of deconstruction through reconstruction, they reignite their historical identity as changers of the circumstances that determine us, creating the possibility that they not only will meet their current needs and wants, but create new, more humanizing, inclusive, relational, and developmental ones. That's what being alive in the, in the I'm sorry, I say this word a different accent, Anthropocene, 
and you say Anthropocene, right? But either way, that's what being alive in it means to me. <laughs> or in the words of the late Fred Newman, my mentor, collaborator, and institute co-founder, you know, these are, these, this is a quote from Fred. In a world so totally alienated as ours, doing anything, even approaching living, requires that we perform. To be natural in bourgeois society is to be dead in life. Unnaturalness is required if we are to live at all. You have been listening to Dr. Lois Holtzman, director of the Eastside Institute. If you are interested in learning more about Dr. Holtzman and the Eastside Institute, go to our website, www.eastsideinstitute.org. And please check out other episodes of All Power to the Developing. In each episode, we introduce you to performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow the series and share with your friends and coworkers. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. Like everything at the Eastside Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We'd love for you to be one of them.